Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everyone. It's V the Grill. Uh, I up my mic. Hello? There you go. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> it's V the Grill Economist with my main man, CJ. And we got Vela's on. Vela's is going to be breaking down a lot of things. And before he does that, I want to let all of you know, go over to mycbdedibles.com, mycbdedibles.com for all your CBD edible goodness and deliciousness. There's drinkable things like the delectable coffee, as well as gummies and oils and, and doggy treats. I mean, it's so damn good. Go check it out. 99.99% pure CBD isolate, not the concentrate crap that you can buy in the stores. Actual isolate's the best way to go. And also, folks, check out roguenews.com. Siege, there's a special video there. McAfee, UK, NATO, stupidity, Germany points the way. Who is that on the video? It's, I, mean, gee, I don't know. Who is that? Who, who is that? Who is that guy? Who is that? Shit. Who is that? Who is that? Go check it out, folks. I did a quick little breakdown over there for you guys. That's exclusively at roguenews.com. And uh, that being said, fellas, what's up, buddy? What's going on, man? I'm good. I'm good. I hope you're both good. Um, Off the Babylon B one more time, uh, being more truthful than than true, uh, even though it's it's, uh, comedy. imitates life, right? Memes imitate life. (laughs) Yes, they had an article that... um, Per the CDC, people with dirt on the Clintons have an 843% greater risk of suicide. <laughs> Look at that. Super rare non-COVID deaths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very rare. Absolutely, you know. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that uh, McAfee's lawyer was in constant communication with the guy all the time. The fact that Snowden, uh, you know, commented that, yo, some, that Assange is in danger. Yes. There's something bigger at play here, and it's not just some guy who's just randomly saying, "I'm not going to kill myself." Then he goes in and kills himself. No, and he's in prison. How do you kill yourself in prison like this? Again, another jail story. You know, another jail story. Another probably missing video. Another probably two guards off uh, balancing their checkbooks. Yep. Hard to say. Yep. Um, and a lot of a lot of rumor and a lot of innuendo, and we'll just have to keep an eye on it, folks. Um, one of the things I'd offered all of you on on that topic because I was I was on a couple different uh, chats and so on um, when that was all going down. Um, 
be exceedingly cautious of anybody or anything showing up in your inbox from friends or well-meaning people you know uh, or websites or whatever saying here's here's the file of of John McAfee's you know um, kill switch or John McAfee's uh, dead man switch uh, don't don't open that stuff folks <laughs> yeah stay stay the living hell away from that uh, just I mean not to be indelicate but just let the black hat and the white hat hackers do their thing. Uh, they have the ways to, to open that stuff up without, you know, let, let them figure out whether or not there's anything there or not. Or we can take Chris Cuomo's approach that and say that only, only the trusted journalistic news sources have the right to see that. Remember that? Right. Yes. <laughs> it's uh it's the old joke from the 1980s where, where several times I would see on the news, um, what do you call it? Comments by uh, various reporters saying, well, we here in the media have known for quite some time the following. And it's like, well, nice of you to share uh, our fellow elites because um, they, they would never admit anything to us at home until they decided we were we were allowed to know about it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so with that, my normal opening, uh, we have no answers to the Nashville thermobaric explosion from last December, nor the OVH cloud. It was fire a gas leak. <laughs> Last month, right. Yeah. Uh, Julian Assange is still in prison. However, unfortunately, he may uh, be leaving the earth at some point in the near future. Uh, Jeff Epstein did not kill himself, and John McAfee either didn't kill himself or uh, did so with purpose. Um, and Julian Assange didn't kill himself. Uh, I'll get in on that one early. Yeah. Um, and just a reminder, um, in all seriousness, a lot of people have died in the last two years. Um, yeah, I, you'd, you'd, we'd almost need to do a whole show on that. Uh, v, it kind of goes to the chatter we were having on the on the message thing yesterday about about people who've died by ma- nail gun. Um, but in the past two years, a lot of people have wound up dead under rather odd circumstances. Not just the reporter from Georgia and a couple other things in the little clip that um, CJ had there at the beginning. Uh, case in point, uh, the mayor of Seoul, South Korea. Uh, that one is just loaded with goodness if if you dig into that one um the mayor of south korea of seoul yeah about a year ago died yes committed suicide. Oh, that's right, he committed suicide that's right yes the the reasoning though had everything to do with k-pop to laundering to, to god knows what all um uh cg by the way i agree with your comment on gus's show on wednesday that the next big hidden challenge out there is is mental health issues uh and i think some of that's starting to to reach the the public domain um i posted on the the velis page uh hashtag velis on the discord page on thursday an article about a hacker in texas who figured out how the power companies were deciding if they shut off your power or not during the snowstorm oh yeah um certainly indicates the thinking of the power companies uh, in upcoming heat waves. The net of this being that if you hadn't lost your power in some time uh, or you lived in an economically depressed area, um, that was kind of their criteria to determine whether or not they were, they were shutting you off. If you were, if you were due for an outage, one was coming because they had to reduce the load. Um, So check, check that out. It's kind of interesting. He found some stuff hidden in the equipment that they use to monitor, um, People's power consumption. Well, they, and you know, they, course, they they put all those smart grids and those smart meters uh, in everybody's house in Texas back in like the 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 middle aughts. You know, like 2013, 14, and fifteen. Everybody was getting upgraded. And it was happening in New York too, man. They're like, hey, smart water meters here, smart water. It's crazy, bro. It's absolutely nuts. Well, and um, 
speaking of Internet of Things, which you know one of the firms I worked for was was knee deep in that one. Um, well, uh, even one even of the offers. Other- sorry to interrupt you, Velas, but even the, the offers. You know, just be mindful of all the offers that come from the utility companies. You know, a few years ago they started sending out, "Hey, we want to send you these high efficient light bulbs to replace all the light bulbs in your home completely free." Hey, we want to install this on your AC unit, and it's going to make your AC unit do this and that, and it's completely free. You know, all these things are designed uh, for one particular reason. It's to enhance their profit, their revenues, and at the same time to have a better understanding of the usage and potentially remote um, uh, of uh, altering uh, those those um, uh, their utilities and, and streamlining that. Yeah, definitely. They've been doing that last several years. Damn it, CJ. Well, now you're telling me this? Well, we had it. We had it. We had it come out. We had it come out this week that uh, anyone in Texas who had a Nest thermostat yeah, was, was was finding was finding that the power company, because another one of those shockers, I didn't know they could do that. They were adjusting your thermostat to a higher temperature to reduce the load on the power grid. Yep. And folks were like, I didn't realize not only they had the power to do that, but some were hidden in the paperwork. I'd I'd agreed to it. Um, you mentioned you know, the funny thing is, Val, I mean, when I go, when I like to go to sleep at night, I like to have a nice, cool house. It has, just helps me to go to sleep. So it's kind of it'll be kind of weird, folks, if you're like that, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, your your thermometer's at seventy eight degrees. <laughs> well, and it's the age old thing of if you have no kids in the house and it's just you with with another loved one or just you living alone, uh, it's not your imagination. <laughs> if you like, you almost need to take a photo of it with your cell phone. And then when you go to bed and wake up, it's like, no, I knew I said it at that temperature. Somebody fiddled with it. Um, I've mentioned Peter Thiel uh, on a couple of prior shows. And um, I know there's there's folks out there that felt that, you know, Thiel was one of the folks I Silicon Valley who needed to be uh, supported because at least on paper, you know, he was uh, supportive of former President Trump. Um, I commented whether it's him or others, you have to look at the real reasons behind what they do. And in Thiel's case, his real reason for investing in in Facebook, it came out yesterday in Daily Mail um, that Thiel back in the 90s, he dumped a ton of money in his Roth IRA, which is, you know, tax free for retirement. And his IRA now has five, five billion billion dollars in it. Because he put everything from crypto to startup uh, company stock in that in that IRA. And then has also evidently leveraged that money somehow without penalty. Uh, to make various various investments, so it's just it's just another way in which people at that level operate differently than the rest of us. If you have a chance, uh, go check out Amazing Polly's program on BitChute from June twentieth, called "Are Leaders Being Threatened by the International Public Health Mafia?" Uh, she gets into Ray Kurzweil, uh, and for those of you who are familiar with him, um, he's part of the whole "How do we manage humanity like a petri dish" crowd. Um, very, very interesting stuff where she starts talking about how um, Kurzweil, you know, he's a futurist, he's an author, he's a transhumanist, uh, but he's also heavily involved in the private equity world, too. Um, how he and others have been basically applying pressure to keep certain stories and things out of out of the news. Um, there's a joke out there, um, has been for some time, about what do the creators of South Park and Family Guy actually know uh, given what has popped up in their shows uh, periodically, you know, the famous Kevin Spacey reference in Family Guy um, or Caitlyn Jenner uh, from Family Guy uh, years before any of that stuff ever hit hit the public awareness. The reason why I'm bringing this up is there was a South Park episode many years ago where they had Britney Spears as kind of a human sacrifice by Hollywood to bring prosperity. 
and especially the last 48, 72 hours about her situation, um, there's no way, in my opinion, that that you cannot view her as anything but a high-profile slave, given her father. Well, she did decision. write the song, I'm a slave right. for you. Well, and the other thing, too, is is that the courts would allow her father to do what he's done and others um, through the conservatorship. Um, I mean, she's literally the Truman Show made legal. Dude, it's unbelievable. How, do, how, how does she need to have permission from her conservatorship to have her, her um, IUD or something like that taken out? It's insanity. She has, somebody else has control over reproductive uh, abilities. Well, and I remember I remember reading years ago, I think it was in Esquire, they had an article about the time that she literally ran off, like ran away with a guy she had known in her hometown where she grew up. And they spent like two days in a love nest somewhere in Vegas and got married and this, that, and the other. And she just wanted out. She wanted away. And she ran to a guy that she knew she could count on. And the lawyers showed up and the, the Hollywood elite showed up and basically told her, you're, you're going to New Jersey. You're getting a quickie divorce. Here's what's happening. Uh, this guy's going to sign an NDA, NDA. You're never talking to him again. Um, but I mean, between the attorneys and Hollywood elite, um, they have to maintain these systems. And these systems that of the money and the control and everything is basically a form of oppression. So again, it goes to something I said before. You can't quite ever take for granted what you hear out of any high profile media personality because they're in the media eye and they're very critical and valuable to be controlled. So, you know, let me say it again, you can be a millionaire and still be oppressed. I mean, that's where the, the golden, the golden cage concept comes from. And the hypocrisy is stunning by the media and those in Hollywood who, who are just stunned. I tell you stunned uh, about how bad this is, you know, hands raised in the air, uh, with all of the virtual signaling they can they can summon, that we're just stunned uh, about what's happening. And for me, I it's it's a lot of either fate or divine intervention or whatever that this this poor girl has not killed herself. Because um, yeah, the other terrible, the other man. end of it too is is don't don't ever discount the following. There's a number of rock and roll bands that have been helped along to checking out of this world by making sure enough drugs are provided. Because when you're dead, the prices of your stuff all go up. And yes. that would have been the case with her. So shifting back to last week's show about BlackRock, a few more ad items I want to talk talk about on that one, which was uh, Larry Fink, uh, the head of BlackRock. Uh, by the way, if I didn't mention it last week, he's on the board of the World Economic Forum. What are the odds? Um, and then and then a topic that I brought up, and I owe this one to Mike Moore over at True Pundit, about the King and Spalding Law Firm. I've mentioned this before. They're a very influential, very large, very powerful law firm in Washington, D.C. But a lot of people that kind of are very head-scratchy are connected to King and Spalding because under normal circumstances, you would think they, they can't even talk to each other. Um, Christopher Ray, who's over at the FBI, and Andrew McCabe, the FBI deputy director. Two geniuses um, right there. Two geniuses. Yeah, they are both connected to King and Spalding, and they also have massive investments in BlackRock. King and Spalding, as I mentioned on a prior show, they manage Donald Trump's trusts, and those trusts are run through BlackRock. Now, here's where the weirdness kicks in. Rod Rosenstein, who launched the Mueller investigation, including Stroke and the rest of them. BlackRock. Rod Rosenstein is King and Spalding. Yep. And invests in BlackRock. So... Just, just a reminder. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have a piece next week that covers our nursing situation because I've got a, a 
chunk of topic here we got to get oh, we have a nursing today. shortage now oh it's bad now i did post it on discord on the 24th it's on the velis site a couple of you even responded to what i had out there so so thanks so if you want to read what i've got for next week it's it's out on discord another reason to go join discord and another reason just a reminder to make sure you're on the rogue news website because as v and cj were talking about earlier this week um, we enjoy our presence on YouTube, but we've already had problems there and we don't want to lose you all again. And I know I've said that a million times, but we don't want to lose everybody. So just make sure you've got us bookmarked in case the only place you're finding our content is on, on the website. Before I get into the victories, I've got one more kind of uh, housekeeping item here. There's a rumor Bill Gates is trying to buy TSMC. That's that big time chip manufacturer. Chip Taiwan. Yep. And we did a lengthy program on that topic a couple of weeks ago. And the irony is, is that supposedly Gates wants to move the production out of Taiwan into mainland China. Now, on the one hand, that's him, you know, <laughs> uh, catering to China. But um, I can't imagine that in a million years. I can't imagine Taiwan would let such a well, major he, political he, asset out of the country. There's also another other side to that. Fellas. I'll chime in real quick. Sure. Gates's proposal to buy TSMC is twofold, and then people say, "What is this bastard doing? This a hole? He's you know he's giving it. He's selling out to the Chinese." No, there's a two front approach. If China right now is in a race to develop its own arm technology, and they're really close to like really developing some good ones, and we got some great processors, especially those made by Huawei, with their Kirin processors are freaking phenomenal. Phenomenal. They kicked the crap out of the Apple A-series. The, but they're still lacking in a few sectors. So TSMC's expertise in ARM architecture comes into play. Now, the goal here is this. Gates is saying, hey, you know what? I want to buy TSMC, and I want to put the, place the manufacturing in China. But what is not being so what is not being talked about is that every if that were to happen, let's just say hypothetically, if that were to happen, if that TSMC goes to China and they start manufacturing there, the goal is, because China needs ARM processors now, the goal is to have every single one of those ARM processors produced to have a backdoor to U.S. intelligence agencies. That's the other aspect of it. I believe it. The other thing, too, is, is just a reminder, folks, because I talk about it a lot on the show, and I know it's been covered before, it's the age old thing of when you hear people say, well, you know, that firm is going to set up operations in the United States or Texas is expanding chip production or whatever it might be, you know, barring power company shutdowns due to heat waves or uh, odd West Texas ice storms. It takes a long time. I mean, we're better at doing this than we used to be. It takes a long time to set up those operations yeah. and to, you know, to get the production into the pipeline. I've had a couple of friends reach out to me recently who, who <laughs> I love them dearly, but they're like, I don't understand why the United States hasn't just, just up. And I'm like, first of all, do you have any, do you understand the rigor and the governance that's involved in running various class one through five clean rooms that are necessary when you produce these chips? And there's a massive investment on the front end. Uh, you can still lose your bacon in this. It's no different than the pharmaceutical industry. You know, Johnson & Johnson and Procter Gamble are major competitors in a number of different areas. P&G back in the 1990s, and I had, I had direct working knowledge of this because I was, I was running their communication networks when I was with MCI. Um, P&G got out of the pharmaceutical space. They dumped a ton of money into it. And just were like, that's it. We're, we're just, we're losing our shirt here. And J&J stayed in it. But the main reason why many of us know about J&J &J having any kind of pharmaceutical offerings or because of the COOF. So, yeah, 
it's it's complicated. It's never as black and white as as yeah. it may at first appear to be, and that's why we're here at Rogue to kind of give you a little bit more color on what the crap's going on there. So victories this week really is just one giant massive soundbite uh, on the schools. Uh, there's no point in me making individual references because this week was just on fire. It was on fuego. My counsel to all of you is go to YouTube, go to TikTok, go to other media sites. There are at this, I admit my ignorance. There was, there were are countless videos out there now from school systems. You wouldn't even, I mean, everything from Nebraska to Loudoun County in Virginia. The other thing too is be aware people have now actually set up pages or sites on YouTube or TikTok that are dedicated just to school board meetings. So if that's your thing, or you're looking for, for little things you can learn in your own battles with local government or school boards, go, go check that out. Cause it isn't just the school boards themselves. We've got uh, parents, we've got students, we've even got teachers resigning at these school board meetings. And it isn't just critical race theory. It's a whole host of things, everything from coof lockdowns to uh, overreach by these these groups and that's private and public schools as well so well, hey Bellis, real quick while you're talking about education because yep. i'll jump into it. one thing that i'm going to um figure out how to start writing and drafting it but one of the things i'm going to propose to our school board is to to counter this coming um uh, mental health crisis for our youth is to mandate uh a, a physical education class for every grade required that whether you're a seventh grader through senior, that you're required a semester to have a mixed martial arts or a weightlifting or a, an aerobics. Um, I, I think that they need to do that to counter uh, the mental health thing. So um, uh, so that's what I'm going to do because I, I, I see it, uh, you know, sad story, uh, but, but true. One of my uh, son's classmates in, in yearbook, uh, friend, he was very heavily involved in yearbook, um, a young lady just a, a few days after graduation um, took her own life. Um, Sunday, we're, we're going uh, to her celebration on, uh, of life. So it you know directly impacted my family, my son, and and it's heartbreaking. And my, my heart pours out to her, her family, uh, her mom. But that is you know why I state that specifically. And I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So while you're talking about school boards and they're talking about like critical race theory and all these things that are confusing our kids and make it more difficult for them to truly understand who they are, Let's focus on their mental health. Let's let's get them in shape. Let's get them exercising. Feel good about feel good about themselves uh, to counter counter that. So go ahead, Bellis. Yeah, that dovetails into your mental your mental health thing. And I, I'm I'm not a medical professional. I've never claimed to be. I just comment at least on that on that particular topic. Um, you you can't you can't say enough about just taking a long walk, and you can't say enough about even if it's not like you know. Well, geez, I didn't make it to the gym. Okay, but I mean. What can you do down in your own house as far as exercises? What can you do from a long walk perspective, taking a bike ride? Um, the the stress level I've heard and I've shared this on prior shows from so many folks I know in different areas of the country, especially on the West Coast, where, as I mentioned on a prior show, I mean, depending on where you lived in California, I mean, parents were like literally sneaking their kids over to their friends' homes because it was like living in El Salvador in the 80s. It's like you couldn't leave your house. You're not supposed to be interacting with people. And the mental health impact has been horrendous. So, yeah, sponsoring physical activity or just <laughs> letting letting the prisoners get some time in the exercise yard uh, has unbelievable, uh, helpful, helpful impact. That that and just once again, taking taking a double take on your diet and what folks are eating and trying to get off of the processed foods and especially the food coloring and similar. So, yeah, I 
wholeheartedly uh, endorse that. So um, one of the takeaways about any of these parents or uh, any of you out there who may be trying to address local government organizations or uh, school boards or other types of, of things, um, you know, if you look at some of these folks who've done it correctly, uh, do your research, write up your comments in advance, uh, be firm and respectful, but do not back down. Um, I know some of you kind of get a little upset with me when I say this, but but yeah, you may want to consult with an attorney just to make sure somebody doesn't hit you with libel or something else. Um, the two top examples this week so far that I've seen is the African-American parent, uh, Ty Smith, who also has his own podcast program. If I think if I saw correctly, he's got like 10 million viewers. Um, he has two doctorates and took the uh, board of his school school board to to task about critical race theory, uh, because his point was, how, how am I even able to have two doctorates if a word of, of what's in these these theories is correct? Told the board that he felt they're betraying Dr. King's legacy with their actions. Um, it's a very, very powerful comment if you go out there and watch it. The other is Simon Campbell. He's the parent you've seen in the clips. He kind of has an English accent and he's like wearing a white t-shirt, but um, incredibly well-spoken referenced legal case law behind his comments. And then my personal favorite was he was pointing at the board saying he wanted to see a video copy of his comments in an unedited version of the proceedings to make sure that they didn't edit him. And that if he finds that they edited him, he's going to sue them. Um, and then, of course, Loudoun County. I mean, this the, I, I doubt any of you are unaware of what happened to Loudoun County this week, that the that the uh, the school board said that the parents showing up to attend the school board meeting was a non-approved public assembly um, and they were arrested. And so, you know, uh, it's wrongful prosecution, everybody. Uh, you know, it's it's an approved public assembly. It's a First Amendment issue. Lawyer up. If the school's lawyers get out of hand, go to the attorney review board in Virginia or wherever your state may be. Uh, file complaints, lots of complaints with the attorney review board. Uh, it's a fr I've done it uh, in some of the legal matters I've been involved in. It's a free process and you cannot be sued or harassed by the attorney for whom you're bringing the complaint against them. This is one of those things about the legal community people don't understand. There are certain things, uh, you know, not Michael, maybe it was Michael Crichton. I'm trying to think, who's the author who writes all the books about lawyer topics? Um, uh, the the uh, Christian. John Christian, Christian. thank you. Yeah, there's there's a classic example, folks, of a person who's made millions of dollars by basically exploiting one major theme about the legal community into all of their written works, which is the one way you nail a lawyer, bar none. I mean, other lawyers, lawyers will turn on other lawyers if they find the following has happened. A lawyer can do darn near anything, but a lawyer cannot mishandle their client's money. Anything that that even remotely borders on fraud or mishandling of, of a client's money is is almost immediate immediate disbarment. And lawyers know that. They know it's the one thing that they can be they can be held accountable for. But the other is is that any person off the street can file a complaint. Now your complaint needs to have some substance to it, obviously. But uh, you go to the attorney review board of your of your home state. It's a very easy process. I've seen and used it myself for a couple of U.S. states. Um, and uh, you file away and, and they go take a look into it. Now, the attorney is not necessarily going to be, quote unquote, disbarred, but they may be censured. Uh, they may receive a reprimand, uh, all of which goes into their rankings vis-a-vis -vis other attorneys that practice those types of law. Yeah, so Rudy just, just got disbarred in New York. 
which is I'm not going there. I'm not going there. That whole thing is just <laughs> such bullshit. But anyway, no, and I'm not defending Rudy, folks. It's just wait a minute. You're <laughs> you're gonna disbar Giuliani. Whoops. You're gonna disbar Giuliani uh, for what you claimed he did. But there are so many lawyers out there. Uh, I was telling V and and Harley and some of the other folks on our on our little discussion board we've got. I mean, I have direct knowledge of attorneys who have lied in court. You know, they say, well, he lied in court. He's a lawyer. I, mean, I hate to do that. But, but I mean, if you go into any U.S. state in this country, because you have to remember, who, who certifies lawyers? Well, it's the Supreme Court of your home state. So I myself have been in court cases where lawyers have gone way off the reservation. And I've had very angry people involved in those cases come to me and say, well, we ought to do. And I'm like, stop. What we can do is this over here. What we cannot do is what you're talking about, because it's like every lawyer in America, one of the main uh, principles that protects them is there's a provision as far as attorneys practice. They're licensed professionals. They're no different than a doctor or, or an accountant or a financial planner. They have licenses in order to practice law. And one of the provisions of that license is, is they are allowed to, quote, vigorously represent their client. And of course, being lawyers, nobody ever defined what vigorously means. So it's like this is it's exactly that. It's New York State getting getting jacked up. So the main topic today I wanted to cover with all of you, and it's why I had to cut a lot of other content out of today's discussion, is this thing about the new global economy and the subscription and usage-based pieces of it. So just strap yourselves in and let me walk you through all of this. Um you know, we've been talking on Rogue for some time about this this new global model, which is still kind of the bugs are being worked out. Um, and this is a key piece of it, and it ties together several themes that many of you probably picked up in the news. And certainly, we've mentioned the term neo feudalism many times here on the program. I know V and Matthew Arrett weekly make references to you know neo new feudalism, new the new feudalism. Um, and I said on last week's show I wanted to talk to you all about this and and. Uh, also want to make sure that, you know, uh, we've heard stories about the World Economic Forum and think tanks and other commentators talking about a future without assets. And I want to make sure that you all understand I'm not referencing the actor John Candy from the movie Volunteers talking about, you know, bad renditions of Marxism. This this is actually a thing in the oligopoly of economics out there. So about 10 years ago, I was working for a firm in Boston. And this firm operated in a very niche area of professional services. And not just because they were located in Boston, where this is kind of a thing, but that company made use frequently of firms like Boston Consulting, Bain and Company, McKinsey, and a lot of the other kind of high-end strategic planning consulting practices that are out there. Now, I'll give my former employer credit uh, on this one for sure. Because when you spend money on outfits like that, you're getting a high quality product. And our firm would even even challenge, say, Bain and Company to disprove what McKinsey was telling us. Because our firm was was several billion dollars, but but we were still not in a position to really make any major mistakes. If we invested in something or went in a particular direction, we made we had to make absolute certain what we were doing was was gonna work or gave us gave us the best odds of working. Um and of course, what I've always loved about McKinsey and some of these other firms is the same rule that applies to IBM, which is that, you know, Big Blue or IBM may blow up the project you hired them to deploy, but no executive ever got fired for hiring IBM. 
But if you take a chance on a smaller firm who's, you know, a boutique player or what have you, they may do good work. But if something goes south, that executive may lose may lose their job. So these big consulting firms, they they just kind of make money organically because you can't you're not going to get in trouble because you hired McKinsey to give you advice on something. And the other thing, too, about all this is this is where this becomes like a predicted behavior. Um, These firms come in, they advise you to do something and a number of their customers act on those recommendations. And then the consulting firm points to the fact that, hey, it looks like industry is going in that direction. So it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, what happened was the company I worked for was being advised to transition away from uh, traditional contracts, service contracts with our clients, uh, to more of what's known as uh, usage or subscription-based contracts. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, so stay with me because it's it's got a bigger implication here. Now, traditionally, when you bought services from various companies, depending on what it might be, because you know it could be software, it could be equipment, or other physical things that you own, that's usually what would occur. You know, in in the case of our firm, we'd come in and provide the service to deploy what you bought, and then after that, you you sustain that stuff. What happened, and what I was living through the last few years is, is that the the projects or the programs that I deployed still used a project and fixed engagements to get our services in with a particular client, but it was a usage-based contract, which meant that the minute I was done, we kept billing the firm, we kept billing the customer. So if they wanted to add more users, we turned a switch, it happened. If you wanted to add more features to the users that were already on, on that particular product, we turned a switch and it happened. There's, there's no need to bring in the sales force to sit there and drink coffee and talk to you about what this might do for you. It literally was to use the lingo. It was a, it was a turnkey, and the other pressure that I and others like me were under was is that rather than running you know eighteen month or twenty four month large scale projects or programs, the the time window was was shrunk way down because everything from my company to the investors in my company they wanted those projects deployed as fast as possible. the the fastest the faster I could get that thing deployed, the faster we could start uh, not only billing them. But, but upselling them uh, on additional features and things. So in the end, the client didn't really own anything other than you know, the contract. And in the world of, of internet-based delivery, uh, that allows you to spin up users or capabilities a lot, a lot more quickly. And you're already online with us. Now there's, there's a host of dangers with this. Uh, and we'll kind of get into that in a bit. And so what is this whole usage-based thing I'm talking about? Well, a vendor sells their products on a scheduled basis in time. And the products that the subscription business sells are usually consumables or licensed products that can only be used for a specific period. Many of you, for, and I'm going to get into some examples in a moment. Many of you are living this today if you use Microsoft applications on your computers or similar uh, or smartphones. Uh, you can activate enhancements quickly for a nominal fee. And equally, if you stop paying, uh, or there's some sort of problem, the product stops working. Um, now, right now, across a number of markets, what's happening is is that this is expanding to pretty much nearly everything in our lives from what was originally magazine subscriptions or an internet-based service product to a whole bunch of different things. And the point of this narrative is, is that the approach to the things we buy and consume has been tested out by high-end consulting practices globally and really started to pick up about 10 years ago. So the proof of concept here is pretty well designed at this point. And not to mention the other kind of side angle, we've mentioned it here on Rogue, um, 
in nearly all situations, a ton of your personal data is being vacuumed up by these services in the name of delivering better and more tailored service to your needs. So one of the elements is the true depth and scope of how your data um, and your products and your habits and similar are a goldmine of other revenue for these firms. Now, here's a here's a kind of an interesting example of, of many elements of this all rolled into one. One of the stories we were told about at my company, uh, which was behind why we were making sure what we did was was more secured and better protected for our clients, was one of the consulting practices came in and told us about hackers breaking into the corporate data of automated vacuum companies like Roomba. Now, what some of you may not know is, is that when you buy one of those vacuums, and depending on the service you have and what you allow it to do, it's sending data through your internet and your home back to the parent company because they're, they're trying to understand ways in which the little vacuum can shorten its uh, vacuuming cycle. Are there certain high traffic areas where the vacuum needs to be, uh, thank you referee, uh, where the vacuum needs to be cleaned more often or is causing more wear and tear on the device, et cetera. What happened was hackers stole the data without the parent company's awareness, at least in the beginning, and they studied furniture placement to determine which homes had more expensive items who could be stolen and sold quickly after a break-in. So they knew based on a number of demographics what the vacuum was probably trying to avoid in its cleaning cycle in the house. And that helped the thieves determine which homes to rob and which to skip. So these are just, that's just one example of some of the things uh, that, that are going on there on the back end, uh, <laughs> on the negative side of things. So what areas exist today in this subscription world? Well, one of them is, is you have software as a service, which is called SaaS, a very fast growing area. And this is, this is an area I was working with for a number of years, both for commercial firms and the government. Um, and what this is, is all the hardware, all the software, all the internet connections, all the software updates, everything is managed by the vendor. Uh, the company who's using those services, they don't need to leverage their own staff or office space to manage operations. It's all done virtually. And of course, that saves these companies a lot of money on labor costs, square footage in their facilities, air conditioning and heating, and the list goes on. Another one is car subscription services. Uh, Volvo, Porsche, Nissan, several rental car companies have a subscription program where your monthly payment enables you a certain level of transportation. Now, Mercedes was in on this. They've stepped out, but it's still got legs in the market. General Motors is dipping into. Yes. And one of I'm oversimplifying with this example, everybody, but imagine you pay a certain amount of money every month and it buys you the equivalent of let's just call them points. And so for a couple of months, you drive an economy car because that's all you need. And then you got a big family vacation coming up and then you scale up to a much bigger, more luxurious model for the family. And you've got little LED TVs in the back seats for the kids and stuff. And then when you get back, you go back to maybe a mid-sized or an economy vehicle, or maybe you've got a wedding to attend that weekend and you just need need a uh, more luxurious sedan just for a weekend. So over the course of a year, you use as much car or truck or whatever it may be as you need. Now, like the vacuum example I gave you, these firms are also picking up a ton of data about your driving habits and everything else that's being resold. The other one is rental property subscriptions like RCI or basically timeshares, uh, food services like uh, Blue Bunny and, and others for the, the busy person on the go, um, Amazon, <clears throat> Netflix, uh, in-home fitness services like Peloton or Fitbit or the new mirror product for some of you who've seen those 
full length mirrors where like you work out in front of the the mirror and you exercise in front of it. there's a person standing there it's almost like something out of star trek and then game <laughs> gaming now this i'm not even going to go anywhere near gaming that one's a whole show in and of itself um hold silver thank you very much um so how do businesses organize these services what's the business model what breaks down into basically four areas streaming software as a service boxed and content so Streaming, that's Apple Music and Netflix. Software as a service, that's Adobe, that's Microsoft, that's Salesforce.com. It's a laundry list of firms, a ton of firms in that area. Box services, um, Bark Box, Birch Box, Dollar Savings Club, food service programs. Um, people who get those those little outfits where you know they they pair a wardrobe for you or what have you. And then content, and that's that's a big wide open one. That's everything from the New York Times to National Geographic to um, Udemy courses that you take online, the list the list goes on. So as we step back from that, there's virtually limitless levels of subscription or usage-based services available rather than you owning something. And particularly after the bug in March of 2020, these are now geographically agnostic. What do I mean by that? Well, let's be candid. Uh, usually these higher-end services, that's folks on the coast with a ton of money. But after what happened in the spring of 2020, now it's more widespread across the United States. Everybody is stepping into this. So where I'm going with that is, is that since the spring of 2020, people are now more accustomed to leveraging these services because your local retailer may not have what you need because of all these supply chain problems. So it's not to say that someone dropped the coof on us because they're trying to, to expand this. To me, it's more of a black swan event that they're leveraging, but at the same time, things were already going in this direction. And the other thing too, is it has been leveraged in the minds of people to make this more accepted and widespread. And at the same time is the data point I brought up a few weeks ago about, it seems odd that Amazon was buying up all those new delivery trucks right before the coof broke out. So the takeaways on this are, first, if you don't have physical assets, you're forever at the mercy of your vendors. So for instance, software as a service. And I worked with a number of companies where my firm and others kept trying to press them to say, close all your data centers. You know, Get rid of your entire ID department. You just need a chief operating officer and a lawyer to go over your contracts. Now, a number of my smarter clients, they still maintained about a third of their own systems in-house just in case. Uh, they also diversified their vendors, but that's kind of a problem because we're dealing with a lot of consolidation of various providers. So as those markets keep moving towards consolidation, it can put you in a tight spot when you've only got two or four vendors out there and they all use kind of the same model. And then again, as I've said, they can turn it off as fast as they turned it on. And I've personally seen examples. I worked with a company where they sourced all of their laptops they had those google uh laptops with all the software and everything loaded yeah chromebooks loaded on there but there was a billing system problem and in the middle of a meeting middle of the week about one two o'clock in the afternoon um the monitor in the conference room turned off and all their laptops shut off and about a day or two later somebody dug into it and was able to determine, oh, there was a problem with the firm because the company who provided them that service had also outsourced the billing to another another party. And the other party, I hate to go there, was offshore. It took them about two to three days to figure out that it was a billing issue. They had paid their bill, 
but the the vendor registered them as and the notices of hey you know we need you to pay this bill were going to the wrong place so nobody at the company knew that it happened and and that's not an isolated case i've seen many situations like this the other part of this is you all need to familiarize yourself with the word integration um Many of these service providers, they have very logical reasons for integrating the data they have on consumers to deliver a better product. And I totally get that because I've seen many aspects in which that happens. The challenge though, is when you have major corporations who are owned by or operated by executives who have social engineering philosophies, shall we say, um, case in point, the Nest thermostats in homes in Texas, um, they're unilaterally adjusting your thermostat because that's what they want to do. And it's it's their needs outweigh yours. So what happens when you no longer control the thermostat? What happens when you no longer control a lot of things because they're all integrated? What happens when one vendor's need causes another vendor to shut off something else like your refrigerator? And because yeah. of contractual language you didn't read, you're unaware they had the power to do that. So Bloomberg announced last week that they think it's fantastic that there's going to be a collapse in home ownership and instead a nation of renters. So think about that for a minute. You don't have to worry about your neighbor's lawn being mowed or whether or not your neighbor's property is well-maintained because it might impact your property value in that universe in its, in its most extreme case. Um, no one, no one owns anything. And, and you'll be happy. You just you'll be happy. And it's just, it's just, you're just renting. You want to know so something in today's world, Go ahead. You touched base on a lot of things with this, uh, you know, with the whole renting thing, right? Not just in the homes, but everything you're talking about in terms of cars for a service, this for a service, that for a service, you're the data, you're being sold. Because let me explain something to you. When a country produces nothing, when a country makes nothing, when a country has destroyed and disemboweled its production capability, they need to produce something. They need a product. You're the product. Exactly. You have to understand that every single one of these subscription things only does one thing. That is feed the fire economy, right? Because yes. every everything that Velas just mentioned, I'm thinking, if Velas is talking, and my head is like, oh, man, we can make a derivative on that. Yeah, they can make a derivative on that. And they can make a derivative on that. They probably have a derivative for that. These are all financialized these are things that have the capability of being financialized and derivatized and being traded. That's all they care about. This here's, is the this whole thing. Here's one for you folks. Think of it this way. To, to V's point, you have a derivative or you have an investment mechanism that much like home loan mortgages starts bundling consumers based on how consistent are they in their payment? How many subscription services are they using? And, and then you start trading on, on those ratings. So here's a case in point. If your insurance carrier doesn't cover a medical procedure, you can pay out of pocket. Let's say you want to go, you know, you're getting on in years, you want to go to cool sculpting and kind of deal with some trouble areas that the gym just isn't taking care of for you. Well, your, your company's insurance isn't going to pay for that because it's cosmetic. So you pay out of pocket. And to what V was talking about earlier this week about SEMA, um, the, the auto supplier group. If you want to perform an upgrade on a car or a truck you own, you pay out of pocket to do what you want. But if everybody's on a usage-based product, then your vehicle isn't really yours. You can't really modify it. Oh, you can take out the air filter and put in a K&N, but, but 
any kind of heavy modifications, you can't do it because it's it's you're just you're just making use of it. Yeah. The other thing too is all of these products are monitoring you to get data. Now, in some cases, it does enhance your experience. In other cases, uh, it goes deeper than that. But as V was talking about earlier this week, SEMA is trying to fight <clears throat> efforts to prevent consumers from even buying those types of parts for the vehicles you own. And it, it you know, the rabbit hole goes much deeper than that. And this is moving beyond basic or moderate services or things you own to getting almost down to a level of where do you live, the quality of where you live, the mobility in your world. Again, feudalism, all under these various contracts. Now, case in point, when I worked in Washington, D.C., friends of mine were working in big cities, who, who many of them still are. We would use the metro or the subway to get where we needed to go, because you do that in a more congested city. And depending on who we worked for, that transportation was subsidized. Even my federal colleagues that were purely federal employees, um, their, their use of those services was subsidized. Now, in my case, if I'm in D.C. and I'm trying to get somewhere and a meeting has popped up or some sort of emergency has popped up, I got to get somewhere quickly. The metro is probably not going to get me there. So I had the authorization to go use a taxi or Uber at no cost to me. Even better, if it was an area slightly outside the Beltway or maybe up in Maryland, I could take the metro to a particular point and then use my Washington, D.C. plastic metro card. I could go to one of these almost like little shopping cart holders outside the metro, run my card through, and it would charge me to let me use the zip car. I would drive the zip car to where I needed to go, park the car in another little, a little holding area, run my card through again, and it stops billing me because everything is seamlessly integrated, it was easy to use, and it was reimbursable. In a world like that, at an individual citizen level, the possibilities start to become frightening. I mean, we're really in a Rod Serling world now. What happens if you're on universal basic income for everybody who wants to jump on that bandwagon? And whether intentionally or not, you run afoul of the government or some administrative group or your employer. Does your income get cut off? If we adopt any kind of social credit score and your score drops for some infraction, do you have to move to another neighborhood? Yeah. Because you're yeah. out of favor? Are you That's denied exactly a living? That's going to happen. It's the black mirror effect. And Yes. And what happens about your medical care? When all elements of your life from housing to transportation to food are all service-based subscriptions, and those are at a growing level subsidized by your employer, think about that one. What happens when we're down to the Silicon Valley dream of, you know, there's a hundred major employers in America and that's it. There's, there's no like, well, I'm gonna go start my own business. Well, you can't, you got an oligopoly of key corporations in every major industry. Yeah. So what, you know, what, what are you going to do now? Let's really throw the knob to 11. You've reached mandatory retirement age. Do I have to automatically move because young, sexy people need my, my living space? We don't know. Now this is all in the realm of, you know, possibility but the pieces are coming together and this is kind of the danger with these intellectuals these think tanks silicon valley oligarchs and the list goes on because to them and their social engineering universe they think this is a great idea yeah this new economic model of subscription of fractional service sounds amazing and v nailed it just a moment ago which is what what happens when they start turning this into forms of derivatives and investment mechanism and then if we go to last week's show about blackrock you know, what happens when those handful of corporations, regardless of what the executives may or may not think, can be influenced 
by one of three major investment firms. And BlackRock suddenly decides we want to launch a new social engineering effort. So that wraps up what I had here. And I'll return the balance of time, V, to you and CJ for some thoughts. And um, folks, just as an awareness, if you can believe it, next week I'm actually going to talk about Roswell, but probably not in the way you think. Um, but I do want to be very clear to all of you, my dear listeners, I will never have a show about Bigfoot. I just want to be clear. Oh, come on, I'm man. Not, <laughs> I, I, I am not doing a show on Bigfoot. Why? But we will touch a, we will touch a bit on Roswell. Yeah, I know. It's, it's racist against it's racist. Bigfoot. Racist Shoot. against Sasquatch. Gosh, Giant Velas, I was going to see if we could do a show on magic mushrooms and talk about Bigfoot, but I guess not. Jeez. TJ's favorite <laughs> topic. That's like, uh, it's, it's like when I bumped into Giorgio Tsoukalos at a, at a, uh, I actually went to to one of those conferences from from Ancient Aliens just for kicks, and I bumped into him at a bar and was just talking to him as as he's touching up his hair, and I said, "What's what's your big seriously, dude?" I said, "What's your biggest frustration?" And he goes, "Bigfoot." He goes, "Every time I'm trying to do," he goes, "I know the hair," but he goes, "Every time I'm trying to do any kind of serious archaeological discussion, he goes, I got the History Channel coming back at me, going, we want to do another show on Bigfoot.'" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, personally, I, I, I'm interested in uh, in Sasquatch. I have been for a number of years, actually. It's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, I, I, I can't make heads or tails of it. I really see, can't. he's off the grid. That's the problem. Yeah. We, There's we, another new phenomena that, that popped up, too, called Dogman. I don't know if you heard about that. No, I have not heard of that it's one. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. It's, like a, it's almost like a, um, a, a canid-type creature but anyway we digress you know everything you talked about right I, I remember in 2012 i was on the hagman and hagman show broadcast they invited me on i think it was probably the second or third time they brought me on back in 2012 i you know i was seeing this i i, I said to them look there's going to be a time coming in the united states that you're going to have social media companies and financial companies they're going to merge and the new credit score is going to be based upon these credit bureaus are going to be done away with. They're going to be old school. That's why they're, they're going to get hacked and they're going to use hacking as a pretext to get rid of them. And they're going to use poverty as a pretext to get rid of them saying, you know what? There are people that are current on their rent. They're current on their, on their, on their utility payments. You know, that should count for something. So this whole thing is going to get done away with and social media companies and, and financial companies are going to create a new type of scoring system and your life and what you're able to do uh, and the access of, uh, of to resources is going to be based upon that. And lo and behold, we have this whole entire social credit score, right? Which, you know, they, they use the whole Chinese derivative. And the, the difference between the China model and the one that these six, uh, the psychopathic uh, idiots over here are, are proposing are two different things. In China, in order when you have a low social credit score, you're actually taken to court, evidence is provided, and a judgment is ruled against you, Okay. But then you have a chance to fix it. In the U.S., you declare bankruptcy or you ruin your credit, you're screwed. You're screwed, okay? Very little capability of fixing it. Now, you take that to the umpteenth level, all these guys are going to do things in a way where it's going to be self-governing, meaning they're going to create some sort of algo. And based on the algo, if the algo says, hey, you know, you missed a, a electric payment or, uh, you know, you... Uh, you, you, you don't have enough subscription services. You don't have enough rental businesses to keep the whole entire thing going. In other words, folks, you, they are milking you like sheep. And if, you don't ha if you're not being milked enough, guess what? Your score goes down. And now you don't have access to fly. You just don't. You don't have access to drive a car. Oh, you got to move out of your apartment, your luxury apartment. Yeah, you got to go from the, 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 the 65th floor down to the, uh, to the first floor. 
and then soon it's going to be the basement, and then it's going to be out the building. That's well, what these guys want. They do. They do, and they're trying to figure out how to do it. It may blow up in their face. It may not. Oh, it's but going to blow up in their face terribly. And, you know, what the every, Everyone has to stay vigilant. Everybody has to stay vigilant and be mindful. You know, and I, I know there are folks out there that are into the granularity of life that are trying to go through some of these contracts and telling the firms with whom they do business, look, if you're using my personal information, I expect to be paid for it. But it, yeah, that's that's a big legal argument, and, and I don't know how, how that's going to go for you. But you need to be aware. I mean, it started it started with very logical reasons. And I saw a lot of it, as I was saying, in, in my narrative in different businesses and stuff. And it made a lot of sense. You know, uh, the radio, the, again, I'm using the automotive analogy, radio in the car integrated with satellite, which then integrated with various mapping features, which then integrated with the vehicle. You know, what altitudes are you driving? Did that have a difference on how the vehicle performed, et cetera, et cetera? It made a lot of sense. The challenge is, is we're, you know, we've said it a million times. We're, we're dealing with people out there that, that are constantly trying to figure out how to exploit that. And not just for business. They have a completely different way of looking at it. And that's that's why I covered the content I did. Very well said. Good stuff. Good stuff. Velas, thank you so much, man, for coming on board and uh, dropping some awesome points on us. Again, folks, you can find Velas over at the Discord. He's also at Rogue. And uh, go check him out. Links are in the description box. And with that being said, DJ, take it away.